0: I'm going to tell, uh, tell you a story, a true story, a historical account of a happening in my life. Okay? I was in a pickup game of basketball. Now stop laughing. What is that sounding <laughs> funny? What the heck? I was in a pickup game of basketball. I got the ball and I broke free after a spin move that made this guy look silly. I mean, I broke his ankles, is what happened. Why are y'all laughing? With a free path to the basket, I jumped, and up I went, ball in cradle, tongue out like Mike. That's Michael Jordan for you younger folk. And man, I threw the ball down hard through the rim. Bam! Another satisfying slam dunk. As I hung on the rim for an extra few seconds, just for effect and emphasis, I thought about how much I loved the feel of just soaring up and up and up toward the basket and stuffing one down. It felt awesome. I loved it. And then I woke up. (laughs) I've actually had multiple dreams where I could dunk. That's true. And it's always the same feeling in all of them. I jump and I just keep going up and up, and I'm like, wow, it's happening. It does take a while. <laughs> they serve peanuts and drinks on the way up. So. <laughs> but I, I'm serious, I've had this dream multiple times, but I feel it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, in the dream, I feel it. But then I realize in the middle of the dream, I'm dreaming. I don't care. Bam! And I bring it down. I wake up and I say, oh, yeah, I'm five foot six. I've never dunked on a regulation-sized basket and I will never dunk on a regulation-sized basket. My body, as cool as it is, was not made for basketball past, say, the junior high level in general. And my body surely wasn't made for dunking specifically. I am limited by my body. Now, take somebody like LeBron James. LeBron James is six foot eight inches tall, weighs about 250 pounds. His body is made for basketball, and he's, some people say, he's the greatest of all time. I, I don't think he is, but it doesn't matter. Some people say that he is. He's got three championships, four league MVPs, two Olympic gold medals, and he's a 12 time All Star team member. So he's pretty doggone good, right? He's, he's better than me. <laughs> We'll give him that. (laughs) Now, my question is... yeah. (laughs) My question is, how much better would I be at basketball if LeBron could help me somehow? What if he was my coach? You think I'd be better than I am now? Yeah. Now, y'all don't know how good I am. But yeah, I'd probably be better. What if LeBron was my coach, could I dunk then? Why are y'all laughing? The simple answer is no, I could not. Even if he was... Maybe if he held me up, if I sat on his back. Yeah, that's possible. No, I couldn't dunk. Next step. What if I was possessed by LeBron James? What if he were inside my body somehow? Would I be a better player then? Yeah. Yeah. My instincts, my thought patterns of what was going on around me, the ability to process who was going where and what I should do with the ball. I would be better, but could I dunk if I was possessed by LeBron James? No. I still couldn't dunk. Why? Because my body would get in his way. Right? He's like, what is this? (laughs) Is this all I got to work with? I got too little height and too much weight. You know, I, can't, I just don't feel like myself because I'm not his self. 5'6 is 5'6 regardless of what basketball icon inhabits it. In my body, LeBron would be limited as to what he could do. As great as he is, losing 14 inches of height and some, some muscle mass and muscle memory would probably inhibit him greatly. Can you imagine the frustration he would feel in my body? <laughs> Greatness stifled, to say the least. But I would surely be better. And there's always dreams if I want to dunk, right? I can do that. I'll probably have that dream tonight, by the way. All will. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're all going to dream about me dunking tonight. <laughs> you're welcome for that. Let me know how that goes. Well, we're going to revisit... Romans 8, verses 9 through 11 today. And I appreciated Don's work in it last week. Um, I love the availability of having the messages recorded and being able to reference them. It is a, it's a blessing. So uh, Don appreciates your work last week and was blessed by it. I actually listened to it driving back from Cincinnati last week. But we're going to further explore this week. Don mentioned last week being under new management. If you were here last week... That was the main thing that jumped out to me, is that with the Spirit inside of us, we're under new management. And we're going to, we're going to explore that along with some other things. This text, it, it's three verses, but it's so thick. One thing that I hate about preaching, and there's not many things that I hate about preaching, but one of the things that I hate is that you just got to cut some stuff out. You don't have any option I mean I would really I would really like to spend another two weeks in these three verses after today but we won't uh, you've got to move on but I mean there are words in this that we could just dwell on but we're going to spend one more week in it this week uh, in Romans 8 9 through 11 so if you have your Bible's turn there if not we'll have it up here for you and I would ask you to stand for the reading of the word one more time and I'll next the next time I ask you to stand it's when we'll be done so through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Spirit. Thank You for Your people. Thank You for Jesus. All that we can say is thank You. And we say that and we also ask confidently that Your Holy Spirit would empower Your Word, Your perfect inspired Word, to quicken our mortal bodies, give life to us, give us understanding as your Spirit teaches us and instructs us from your Word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. I'm going to take another cue from Don, and I'm going to cut my review down to two slides, okay? I want to make sure everybody knows where we've been. What book are we studying? Okay, just making sure everybody's on the same page. We are in Romans. If you go, I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's on the top ten list of ways to encourage your pastor. I don't know what book we're in. We've been in it a year. So I hope you know by now where we're at. So the theme of Romans is what? How to be right with God. And in our outline we see the first point that we saw was the presence of sin, the need for being right with God, and that applies to every human being conceived by natural conception. We are all conceived in sin is what Scripture says. So everybody has sin. Everybody is born into sin and everybody has a need for being made right with God. Then we saw that the means for being right with God is justification by faith. There's no other way. The only way that you can be made right with God is to be justified as an act of His grace by exercising your faith. That's going to be real important in our message later. And that brought us to point three, which is blessings, the results of being right with God. And they are many, many, many manifold blessings. Um, and we're in Romans chapter eight, almost in the middle of chapter eight. I don't know how much longer we'll be here. It doesn't matter because we're going to milk it as much as we can. Uh, and then we'll move on to points four, five, and six when we get there. Now through this, we've we've talked several times about Asian station, Expiation is God taking the guilt of our sin away from us. Propitiation is God setting forth Christ as a propitiation so that He could propitiate Himself and propitiate us by punishing Jesus for our sins. And again, all we can say is thank you. Here goes the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, to the cross. Somebody sound the alarm because we're talking about propitiation. Um, Here goes the spotless, blameless, sinless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, to the cross, has never sinned, and He became sin on our behalf. And God punished our sin in Christ. That's propitiation. (coughs) Excuse me. Thank you very much. Bless you. Um, imputation is the act of God imputing, giving to us the righteousness of Christ. We said Jesus had never sinned. That makes Him righteous. Actually, His righteousness made Him never sin. In fact that he never sinned made Him righteous. He was God in the flesh. He was righteous. So God imputes to us, gives to us as a gift when we're born again, the righteousness of Christ. That's imputation. Which leads us to a state of justification. I have the right to be in God's presence because I'm righteous. I've been given the very righteousness of Christ. Sanctification, we have mostly focused on the process of sanctification which is us becoming more and more and more holy as the days go by. It's the process that God uses to make us more like Jesus in our everyday lives. Justification is Him making us the righteousness of Christ. Judicial act, gavel swung, done. One time act. Sanctification is the process of living that out. And then before the foundation of the world, at one point in time... We have been saved, we are saved, we are being saved, and one day we will be fully saved. That's salvation. So, Amen. that's a lot of stuff, and it's a lot of good stuff. What we're going to do is dive back into Romans chapter 8, verse 9 today, <clears throat> keeping all that in mind, because it all applies. Again, what kind of literature is the book of Romans? It's an epistle, it's an epistle which sounds like somebody's got a lisp, right? It's the pithel. It's a letter. Paul is writing a letter to the Christians in Rome and he wants to come see them and he said, I want to be encouraged by you on my journey to Spain. He said, I want to be encouraged by you and I want to encourage you. So what Romans is, is kind of like a missionary letter, truthfully. I'm coming to your church. These are my credentials. This is what I want to talk to you about and it's the gospel. So he writes this letter, which is just fantastic. So we're reading a letter. So to take out three verses of that and try to isolate it and understand what's going on, you wouldn't normally do that with a letter that somebody writes you. But in order to properly understand the shades and the meanings, that's what we're doing. okay? Because we weren't there. So we want to know exactly what Paul's saying, why he's saying it, what the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul through this inspired, God-breathed Word so that we can know the full implications for our lives. The Bible is no good. Romans is no good if it's just a letter to Christians in Rome. So that's why we go through the Scriptures very intentionally, very purposefully, very slowly so that we can slow down and say, okay, what does this mean for me? So we're reading a letter and we're in chapter 8 verse 9. Let's start there. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit... If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now, I understand the first thing that Don did last week was talk about how mean I was the previous week. right? Talking about how bad people are. And he brought the people up and he made a continuum. Jesus, Paul, Hitler, right? And what, what we ended up seeing through that illustration was we're all Hitler. We're not. None of us no more righteous than anybody else on the continuum in and of ourselves. And so I say amen to his bringing my harsh treatment of us up. I walked away from that. My message two weeks ago. Kind of sorry that I had to deliver that. I mean, it's hard. But I was also eager to get to verse nine after that because there could not be better news than what follows that awful news. And the depth of the awful news helps me in that it elevates the goodness of the good news that comes after it. So really bad makes really good even better to me. Now let me recap briefly what was said in that message from two weeks ago. Those who are in the flesh, according to verses 5 to 8, set their minds on the things of the flesh, which is death. They are hostile to God. They do not submit to God's law and it actually says they cannot submit to God's law. And those who are in the flesh cannot, cannot, cannot please God. That's what we saw in verses 5-8. to Hostile, death, total inability. That's all of us in the flesh. All of us. And it's awful news. It's terrible. It's harsh but it's awfully clear. In the flesh equals death, which equates to a total inability to please God. That's the condition of those in the flesh and it's awful news. Awful. And it's the state that we are in naturally as those who are not born again, those who are not saved, those who have not been adopted by God, by grace, through faith, in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus who took the punishment for our sins on the cross and became our righteousness as a gift of God. You see why Asian Station is so important? You've got to understand what's going on there, especially for this book of Romans, but for the Christian life in general. Without the gift of God, without the work of God, we are hostile to God and dead in our sins and trespasses. And that's awful news. And then comes verse 9. Oh, my word. Verse 9. Paul moves his address from those in verses 5 to 8 to who? First word of verse 9. It's on the board. In case you're scared, you might get the wrong answer. So he was talking about those, those, those in the flesh, those in the flesh, those in the flesh. And then in verse 9 he says, you. And that's a significant shift. Those in the flesh, those who live according to the flesh, those who set their minds on the flesh are hostile to God and dead. You, however. You see the shift? And the word however makes it all the clearer. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however. And what does He say about the you, however people? He says, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. And I think one big question we've got to ask here is, what does it mean to be In the flesh, what does it mean to be in the spirit? That word in may be the most important word in the New Testament. Let me give you just, again, this is one of those words that we could spend a whole service on. We could spend a whole message on. 45, 50, 60, 75 minutes. I mean really. But we won't. So let me just tell you briefly what the word in means. Here it means to be under the sway of. To be influenced by. Not inside of necessarily. It means to be in the flesh. means to be held in the sway of the flesh. Under the influence of the flesh. Or in the sway of the Spirit under the influence of the Spirit. That's what we're talking about when we say we're in the flesh or in the Spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh. But in the spirit. And this thought echoes what we saw back in verses four through six when he directly contrasted these two groups of people. And again, I'll say what I said two weeks ago there are only two groups of people. There are those who are in the flesh, and there are those who are in the spirit. There is nobody in the muddled middle who's trying to figure out if they want to be in the flesh or in the spirit. We're born in the flesh, we're reborn in the spirit. By the work of God. And listen, please hear me say it. It's God's work. Go get yourself born again. Give it a shot. Did you get yourself born the first time? In means under the influence of, in the sway of. And there are only two groups of people. No middle ground of seekers or those who are somewhere along the path. There are those in the flesh and those in the spirit. And what is it that makes the distinction between these two groups? The answer gives us the answer to what it means to be a believer. What it means to be a disciple, a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. Some of you sitting here this morning, you may wonder, what does it mean to be a Christian? What, What makes somebody a Christian? This verse answers that for us. What is a Christian? We get the answer here. What does the text say? You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, what? If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. And then the last sentence of the verse makes it even clearer: anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So, what makes all the difference in the world? What separates a Christian from a non-Christian? What separates somebody in the flesh from somebody who's in the Spirit? The Spirit. The question is whether or not the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now just chew on that for a second. Whether or not the Spirit of God dwells in them or does not have the Spirit of Christ, which is one and the same. And there's a wealth of Trinitarian theology in these two statements, but we won't dwell there today. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. One God and three persons. Again, we won't dwell there. We could we could spend a few weeks on that but we're not going to. He's not changing spirits here when he talks about the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ. The same holy spirit. Okay? And it's that spirit, it is the presence of that holy spirit that makes somebody a Christian and the absence of that spirit that makes somebody not a Christian. So that's pretty big. Need to sit on that for a second. But think about what the verse does say. Those who are in the flesh, those who are not in the flesh, I'm sorry, who are in the spirit have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. And I'm afraid that we treat this holy thing here as far too common. Amen. We who have the Spirit of God in us yawn far too often at the Holy Spirit. Or we're scared to death of Him. Or we've seen so many pollutions and abuses of the Holy Spirit and what people call the Holy Spirit that we're afraid to go that direction. Amen. But this is a holy thing. And do not treat that which is holy as common. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, Christian. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Mm. And that's a holy thing. This is not just a yay us verse. This is a woe God, what have you done verse. God has sent His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity to do what? Dwell in us. What does dwell mean? It means to live somewhere, to take up residence somewhere. Did you hear that? Those in the Spirit are people whom God lives in by the presence of His Holy Spirit. He dwells in them. So those who are in the Spirit are the people who have God's Spirit living in them. In the Spirit means that the Spirit is in me. So does every believer have God's Spirit in them? The answer is positively, absolutely, yes. Because the end of the verse says, whoever doesn't have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Is none of his. So that's big. So let me, ask, let, me, let me settle that question for those of you who are believers. Who have placed your faith in the finished work of Christ for your salvation, you will have people who will tell you that you have to tarry for the Spirit, that you have to wait for the Spirit, that you have to groan and work so that the Spirit might come. No! The very act of you becoming a Christian was the Holy Spirit taking up residence in you. He's the down payment of what's to come. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. When he moves in, he never moves out. That's good news. Because I've given him many reasons to leave. Now I've grieved him. Yes, I have grieved him. I have quenched him. Yes, I have quenched him. But oh no, you never let go. So let's settle that question right now. If you are a Christian... You have the Spirit of God living in you. (laughs) That's better than LeBron James, trust me. He's richer than LeBron, actually. Yes, you do have the Spirit in you because anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. No Holy Spirit means that you don't belong to God. Belonging to God means you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ living in you. That's pretty important. Verse 10. Mm -hmm. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now We said that that last point, the spirit living in you, making you a Christian, is a pretty important point. It's important because verse 10 tells us that although the bad news of us being dead in and of ourselves in our flesh is true, it is just as true that if Christ is in us through the Holy Spirit, we have life. The very life of God moves into dead, rebellious flesh and makes His home there and He brings life with Him. And notice the word, although. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead, that makes it clear that there is still no life in and of the flesh by itself. Although the body is dead because of sin. The flesh, where sin resides, is dead. It doesn't say, but if Christ is in you, your flesh... Becomes alive. Here's the already but not yet principle in the life of a Christian. Even in our regenerated state, the flesh has no life in and of itself. Why? Because where does sin live? In our flesh, even as Christians. Holy Spirit moved in to our spirit and gave life to our spirit, He didn't move into our flesh. Does that mean that our bodies are bad? We've talked about this a lot, and it's kind of a, a tricky, tricky conundrum. Your flesh is not your body, but your body does have your flesh in it. Okay? They're not equal, but they're similar. When we get to Romans 12, we're going to see that we're supposed to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Our bodies for instruments of righteousness. How could we do that if sin is alive in our flesh and our flesh is in our body? We can only do that if there's some power present that can overcome the influence and the power of sin in our flesh. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now this is a... a a transitory verse between the last verse and the next verse. So we're not going to get all of our answers from this verse, but we will get some answers, okay? The very life of God moves into dead rebellious flesh and makes His home there and brings life with Him. And although the body is dead because of sin, already but not yet. We have life, but we have death. We have the Spirit of Christ, but we have sin, which causes problems. Getting back to our basketball illustration, LeBron James taking over my body would make me a better player for sure, but he would experience limitations because of my diminutive frame, to say the least. God takes up residence in our mortal bodies and He brings life with Him. He being life in us. But he puts that life, his life, in a body whose flesh has sin living in it, and it causes great conflict. Galatians 5.17 tells us, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? Remember Romans 7? Wretched man that I am, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. And the very thing I don't want to do is the thing that I'm doing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now we're going to go deeper into that in a, in a minute. So we see in this verse in Galatians and in Romans 8.10 that we have desires of the flesh which are sinful and which lead to death. And thankfully as Christians we have Christ in us bringing life because of righteousness. Whose Righteousness. His, not our own. And this is really where my wheels started spinning and turning and gears started grinding on each other. And I'm like, okay, hold on just a second. Dadgummit, what's going on here? Bringing life because of righteousness. Go back to verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life. Why is the Spirit life? Because of Righteousness. made my mind go back to the end of chapter 7 where Paul talked about the struggle between doing what he didn't want to do and doing what he wanted doing what he not doing what he wanted to do and doing what he didn't want to do and that makes that make even more sense dead flesh housing a living spirit righteous spirit in sinful flesh oh wretched man that I am but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our lord we are literally, as Christians, a walking civil war. We are. But the war is being waged by God Himself. Before, sin was waging war against God in us and through us. It was hostile to God. But now God has established a beachhead. God has established a foothold. And He is making war in us And through us. There's a new offensive now. We went from being offensive to God to God taking up and establishing an offensive in us and through us. He sets up residence in us by making us his dwelling place. What did we say in the middle of the singing? Man, the enemy has got to hate that. You're going to use them. You're going to fight through them? I done broke them. You did break them. I'm going to fix them. And I'm going to make them something more glorious than you ever thought about being. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, he's got to hate that. It makes me happy. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, The Spirit is life because of His righteousness. Now let's see how this ties up in verse 11. man! If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. (laughs) Now this has caused me issues since I've been studying it for a few weeks now. Because I studied part of this when I was studying for the flesh message. We've already seen in verses 9 and 10 that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ has taken up residence in us and that is really good news. In the midst of the bad news of sin living in our flesh. Now here it says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now this is not new in light of what we've already seen. But here the Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. Now why would the Holy Spirit in Paul... Make that distinction. What's relevant about that? Because if he did that to Jesus who was dead, Apostles Creed, we believe that he died, was buried, right? But he didn't stay in the grave, right? He was resurrected. And the spirit of the one who brought him back from the dead, what can he do in us? Give life to our mortal bodies. Hmm. Now what does that mean? There are at minimum, minimum, two possibilities here. What it means for Him to give life to our mortal bodies. First, He could be referring to the reality of our resurrection after we die. We are all going to die unless Jesus comes back. You live in a body that is going to die. If you were born, you will die. If you were conceived, you will die. Let's go on back because we have... We've lost four babies in the womb. So death, you want, to, you want proof that sin exists? You would have to look any further than death. Death is the outcome of sin. And since sin ravages our mortal bodies, we die. So he could be saying the Spirit will bring life to our mortal bodies that are prone to die. The Spirit will bring them back to life after we die. And I read a lot and listened to several messages of people that I respect and admire that inferred that that's what He meant here. And that's certainly true. We believe in a bodily resurrection. We believe we will come back to life after we die. And it's the Spirit of God who will bring us back to life just like He did for Jesus after He died. But I believe there's a second possibility of what this could be referring to. And I think that second possibility is that in the midst of our flesh... Now, which is dead, in the midst of death now, God's Spirit can bring life now. God, by His Spirit, can bring about righteous life in and through people living in dead flesh in the here and now. Now this, this, that seems more probable to me in the flow of thought. Now I'm not insinuating or suggesting that God by His Spirit brings about sinless perfection to anyone who is in a mortal body. But He can, will, and does bring life and make doing righteous things possible now for those of us who are in the Spirit and who live in a body that has in it flesh inhabited by sin. And this will come into a little clearer focus when we get into the next passages, starting in verse 12 and on. But for now, I think we can settle in on hearing Paul say that the same Spirit who made a dead Jesus alive can bring life to us now even as our flesh is dead. And you can tie that back into verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Dead body... Housing the Spirit, capital S, who raised Jesus from the dead. Who gives life to that dead body. And that life is that Spirit. What's the end game? God can bring life, listen, 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 in the midst of death. Yes, one day death will be swallowed up in final victory and will be no more. But even now... While death is a reality in our everyday lives and mortal bodies, church, there is life. Two weeks ago, I stood beside a grave and buried my uncle. You know what I was surrounded by in that graveyard? Dead people. Death is real. We live in the midst of death. And in the midst of that death, in the midst of the death that resides in my flesh, God is able to bring life. I did not stand beside that grave and think, God, would you please bring my uncle back to life? I didn't do it. it wasn't my desire. It wasn't God's desire. You say, how can I know that? Because He said, it is appointed once for man to die. And after that comes the judgment. But it did make me look at my own mortality and go, God, what's going on with me? I'm at best middle-aged. I look at my dad and I'm thinking, he's not middle-aged. And then I look inside of me and I see death ravaging my inner man time and time again as I choose sin over and over again. And the wages of sin is... And I could very easily get distressed and hopeless and say, God, it's just no use. But God comes back and says, no, there is a use. I can bring life now to your sinful, fleshly, mortal body. And I can do it through my spirit, whom I have caused to dwell in you. God gives life in the midst of our death. Dead body, housing the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, who gives life to that dead body and that life is that spirit so that God can bring life in the midst of death. Yes, one day death will be swallowed up in final victory and will be no more. But even now, while death is a reality in our everyday lives, in mortal bodies there is life. There is a greater power, a master plan that shows God's power and God's glory in the middle of our powerlessness and our total inability. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not To us. (laughs) This thing was a little bit more steady. And I could jump like LeBron James, brother. I would jump up right here and say, Did you hear what he just said? But we, Christian, have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God. And not in us. And God is in us. Oh. (laughs) God gives life in the midst of our death to show that the power, the glory is His, and not in us modifying our behavior. I'll do better. I'll start, I'll wear a rubber band, and every time I say a cuss word, I'll pop my wrist with it. Try harder. Try harder. Do better. And you know what? We can overcome some bad habits in ways like that. And you know what we start to do? Ah, beat that habit. I'm doing better. How you doing, brother? Man, I'm doing better. I beat cussing with a rubber band. Boy, you are good. God gives life in the midst of our death to show that the power, the glory is His and not in us modifying our behavior. God is not interested in modifying your behavior. He is interested in flooding your sinful flesh with the life of His Spirit so that the glory belongs to Him and not to you. So, we're going to bring this to a close with some application. But in order to bring about the application, I need to circle the wagons. I need to look back through this letter starting in the end of chapter 7. I'm not going to read it but I mentioned this earlier. I think we have to see the flow of thought from there at the end of chapter 7 to see what it means for our lives now properly. Stay with me. Back at the end of chapter 7, Paul bemoaned his doing what he didn't want to do and his not doing what he wanted to do. He called himself a wretched man and called out for a deliverer who was seen to be Jesus. He then clearly stated that he served the law of God with his mind, but the law of sin with his flesh. Then He said, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit of life has set Him, and if we're believers, us, free from the law of sin and death because God condemned sin in the flesh by sending Jesus in human flesh and having Him carry our sins on His body to the cross. And why did He do that? Now you're going to have to go back a couple of weeks, two or three weeks. Remember, there, four 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 in and order that? I think that's three weeks ago or so. The purpose in all of this was, according to Romans 8.4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then we saw the hopeless, helpless, hostile state of those who live according to or in the flesh. And then last week and today, we saw that you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So there is hope for us who have the Spirit of God dwelling in us to walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Why? So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So so that we can not only be declared righteous, but so that we can live righteously. It's one thing to have the divine gavel swing and be pronounced not guilty and it's another thing. It's the reason for the gavel swinging, to go out and live free from the power of indwelling sin. But that's exactly what we're called to do. And God has done His part. God has moved in. And let me tell you what, He's throwing some junk out. He's like, this place is a mess. Let's clean it up. I'll clean it up. And then He tells us to take the trash out. Yes, sir. You, the boss. God has done his part. Now we are to join him in his work of proclaiming his glory to the universe. And thanks to his spirit who dwells in us, listen, we can do just that. Because God's spirit lives in us, we can live, we can produce his righteous works. You say, well, I'll never be perfect. Nope. Not until you see Jesus face to face will you be perfect. But you can, through the process of sanctification, trust the power of the Spirit of God to do in and through you what you could not do in and of yourself. We can. And now that brings us to application. And to help focus our application, I want to read a quote from Stephen Rungi. He says, If the life-giving Spirit lives in you, the life-giving Holy Spirit lives in you, then He will also vivify, bring life to, our mortal bodies through the indwelling of His Spirit. This making alive of our bodies gets more attention in verses 18-30, through which is what I mentioned earlier. But the point here is that the indwelling of God's Spirit in our spirit changes everything. Reconciliation and peace with God are just the beginning, Rungi says, allowing Christ to live in us and through us to serve God is what Paul's gospel message has been building toward. And he finishes like this. Through his plan to remove sin and wrath, God prepared the way for His greater design for us. End of quote. And all that means we were saved in order to live in a way that displays the righteousness of God. That's why God saved you. So that you could live in such a way, just what we said during the music, that the devil would look at your life and say, man, I hate that. That makes me sick because they are showing the glory of God in their life. That's why you were saved. Not so that you could feel good about yourself and know that you're going to heaven someday. Those are good things. That's not the reason. So how does it work? How can I display the righteousness of God? Let me give you an example of how this looks in real life and we'll be finished. Using the progression we talked about in the progression we looked at from the end of chapter 7 to our passage today. Here goes. Stay with me. I'm a believer. I've been born again. I do what I don't want to do or I don't do what I want to do. I sin. What do I do with that sin? Now listen, this is application. What do I do with that sin? I see the sin for what it is and I see that I'm a wretched man tormented by the sin dwelling in my flesh. I confess that sin realize that I need a deliverer and I realize that my deliverer is Jesus and I praise God for the forgiveness I have for that sin as I confess it. First John 1.9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't run from it. I don't try to hide it. I confess it. I realize that I serve the law of God with my mind, but that sin dwells in my flesh and sometimes I serve it as well. I'm sorry for my sin, but I realize that there is no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus by God's doing. I rejoice that I'm not in the flesh anymore because when I was placed in Christ, it meant that I'm not in the flesh anymore but in the Spirit, held under His sway. I realize that there is a power in me now to overcome the pull of the flesh And that I'm not dead in my sins and transgressions but rather alive because God Himself is living in me and I look to the next choice that I have to make with hope knowing that I can faithfully trust the faithful God to help me deny my sinful flesh next time and do what pleases God, therefore glorifying Him by the grace that He provides. And I worship with my life in spirit and truth. And the cycle will repeat itself regularly throughout my life. Sin, confess, rejoice, repent, worship. But apart from the Spirit, you're stuck in sin. But with the Spirit, I'm not stuck in sin. I'm not helpless and I'm not powerless. I have the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the joy of God, the Spirit of God, the very presence of God, the power of God to live differently. I'm alive in Christ and Christ in me. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We are more than conquerors. Oh, no, you never let go. Hallelujah, we are who you say we are. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And that is good news, Christian. But what if you're not a believer? What if you're sitting here this morning and you've never been saved? What if you're sitting here this morning and you're going, I don't know if the Spirit lives in me or not? Maybe you thought you've been saved for a long time. And you're going, I don't know. I don't know about this whole Spirit thing. That's kind of weird. I don't. Or maybe you've just never even heard any of this and you're going, that sounds pretty crazy, but it sounds pretty good too. If you've never been saved, if the Spirit of Christ does not dwell in you, you are dead in your sins. You are in the flesh. You are a sinner. And you need a Savior. And the good news is, God says that you can be saved by faith if you trust in Jesus. Now my question is, if we're saved by faith, where does that faith come from? That faith is a gift from God. And the Bible says in Romans ten seventeen that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, which is what we've heard this morning in the Bible. The Bible is the very word of Christ. So if you want to know what it means to be a believer, if you want to know if you've got the Spirit or not, you've got to have faith. And if you're going to have faith, you've got to have the word of God. If there is something stirring in you right now, a sorrow for your sin, if there's a desire to be saved, then God is operating to give you the gift of faith so that you might believe in Him, confess your sins, and receive forgiveness for them knowing that Jesus was punished to purchase your forgiveness on the cross. Jesus never sinned, but took your sins upon His own body and went to the cross and God punished Him for our sins." for your sins. By faith, you can trust that God accepted that payment and let you free from the penalty for your sins. And not only that, but he will also send his spirit, the spirit of Christ to live in you and empower you to please him in this life. Born again to a living hope to please God in the here and now and In the ages to come. That's the gospel. And it's good news. And the spirit and the bride stand today and they say, Come. Come sinner. And receive forgiveness. Wash away all your guilty stains. Come orphan. And be adopted into the family of God. By faith. I want to close our time today by reading a passage. Everybody hold on to your tomatoes. I want to read a passage, the passage that we read today from Romans. I want to read it from the message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible. It's not a direct translation. That's not super important, but it's so good. I just want to close our time by reading that. But if God Himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of Him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome Him, in whom He dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, He'll do the same thing in you that He did in Jesus, bringing you alive to Himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and He does as surely as He did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With His Spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. Okay, so I'll never dunk. Even if I get possessed by LeBron James himself. I've come to grips with that, okay? But... Knowing what I know from our passage today, I can walk in freedom from sin. Even though I have sin dwelling in my flesh, with God's Spirit in me, my body is as alive as Christ's. Hallelujah. We are who you say we are. Let me pray. God, it is... Properly overwhelming to think about you living in me. And God, the next time that I want to choose sin, I ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would remind me of the power that is available to me to look at that sin and say, it's not as appealing as Jesus is. That sin is not as beautiful as Jesus is. That sin is not as enjoyable as Jesus is. And may your righteousness rise up in me and produce righteous acts in my dead body. And may I overwhelm the power of the flesh, the power of sin, with a love for Jesus, who loved me enough to give his life for me. May I know that I am who you say that I am, God. I am The temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Thank you for that. It's Hawkins. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Philippians 1, verses 6 and 9 through 11. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.